I can eat this watermelon in 15 I can eat this watermelon in 15 seconds and still keep this figure. Can you see my figure? My gift is I could do a cartwheel. Oh yeah? Can you show us? Yeah. Watch this. Oh, uh, was, let me do it again. Let me do it again. You know what my spiritual gift is? I don't need to work out to look this good. All I need to do is just look at myself in the mirror. Oh yeah. and happy pre-Labor Day. Uh, glad that you could, uh, we could be part of your Labor Day plans. We are wrapping up a uh, series we started a few weeks ago called Living Your Strengths. And as you saw um, in the video up there, we're talking about how God made each of us uniquely and so that we can all discover how it is that we were made and use those strengths to, uh, for the glory of God in a way that we were made to. Now, before I get into today's topic, since it is Labor Day, I figured we would start with a little uh, Labor Day trivia. Anyone know what we celebrate on Labor Day? Anybody? I, for all these years, yeah. I, for all these years, thought Labor Day was like Memorial Day Part 2. <laughs> you know, it has absolutely nothing to do with war. has nothing to do with people who have served. Okay, it has nothing to do with anything like that. Anyone know what it celebrates? It celebrates, like the name sounds, laborers. And if you go back, we'll do a little trivia right now, then I'll get into today's topic. The first Labor Day ever, ever celebrated was the year 1894. President at the time was a man named Grover Cleveland. And he declared that we would take a national day, a holiday, everyone would get the day off of work, and we would be celebrating the labor force in this country. This is what they wrote at the time. That Labor Day is a holiday dedicated to the social and economic achievements of American workers. A yearly national tribute to the contributions workers have made to our, to the strength, prosperity, and well-being of our country. So it's a great day where the president said that we want to take a day off. Everyone celebrate the people that work in this country. But as with everything, there's a story behind the story. Do y'all know the story behind the story? What prompted President Grover Cleveland to set a national holiday? He wanted a day off? Not exactly. Okay, I'm sure he, he could take a day off whenever it is that he wants. Anyone ever heard of something called the Pullman Strike? Back in the year 1894 in the, play, in the city in Chicago, just outside Chicago, there was a group of railroad workers who worked for a company called the Pullman Company just outside of Chicago. And the company, this was before unions had really started to, to take shape, the company was trying to lower the salaries of the railroad workers. And they basically said, you guys are overpaid, they tried to lower their salary. Well, the employees weren't too happy with that and they basically said, we're gonna go on strike. And then the employer said, what you do isn't that complicated anyway, so anyone can come in here and operate these railroads, and we'll be fine without you. Well, what ensued was a huge, huge, huge crippling strike that handicapped the railroad industry all over the country because Chicago was right in the middle there, and when they weren't working, the entire country was closed basically to railroads, and this caused a lot of problems. The president, after a long series of trying to negotiate, eventually called in the troops from the army 
to come in and try to get those railroads running, but they couldn't do it, especially because the workers weren't too happy with the army guys. There was riots, there was unrest, there was all kinds of violence, and the thing ended very, very, very ugly. Go Google it when you go home, the Pullman strike of 1894. Six days after the strike ended and after they solved all the problems, six days after, the president declared that we will take a national holiday, and this was at the time, was like in the summer, take a national holiday in September. First, at the time it was Tuesday, but they moved it eventually to Monday. Take a national holiday to celebrate all those beloved people who work so hard in our country who keep us going. It was as much a PR move as it was an appreciation of the volunteer workers. Well, here at STSA, we are not waiting for a strike. Here at STSA, we take the laborers of our church very seriously, and we appreciate them very much. We are not waiting for any strike or unrest or violence or anything like that to happen around here. That's why for the past month, ever since we started August here, we've been doing Volunteer Appreciation Month. And we've been talking about the various people who keep this church doing what it is, what it's doing. And we've been inviting you, every person, to discover what your strengths are and to take part in the work here as well. Next week, we're going to have a volunteer fair, okay, during this time, where we are going to give you a chance to walk around and see and meet all and talk to all the different people who are carrying the load here and get a chance to get to know them and hopefully match your gifts with the different needs here at the church. Because we believe strongly in this verse, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that we, you, me, every single person, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What we've been talking about, just to kind of get you up to speed in case you missed the past two weeks, is that each one of us has a sweet spot. That's something that we were made to do, and when we're working in that area, everything works. And when we can take the gifts that God put in us and discover them, and then match my gift with an eternal cause, an eternal cause, something that has eternal significance, that's when I find my sweet spot. When I don't talk about I have to do this service, when I talk about I get to do this service. When, 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 when volunteering isn't tedious, when it isn't difficult, isn't burdensome, I don't feel burnt out or stressed, when I feel like this is what I was made to do. And every one of us has something that we were made to do. And our hope is through this series is that you discover what that is. And you were able to discover a little bit more about yourself and hopefully use that, like we talked about last week, to find your greatness. Is that Jesus told us, when he told us in John 14, that all the stuff that I did, whoever believes in me, greater works than, he, than these he will do. And we said the last week that that greatness is awaiting every one of us. When we find what we were made to do, and then we do it for the glory of God, that's when we achieve that greatness and we'll stand before God and he will tell us, that we were great in whatever way. Whether that was called to be a preacher, we preach with greatness. Where we're called to be a mother, then we did that and God would say, you were great as a mother. Or we're called to be a, an accountant for the glory of God or a, 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 a setter-upper of coffee or chairs or banners or a, a singer or an accountant. I think I already said accountant, but the finance people are extra special to us here. Okay, Whatever it may be, even if, even if all it is is your job is a railroad worker, then that is appreciated in God's eyes as well. And the reason why is because we have this core value here at STSA that as much as I try to get away from this, this is what keeps pulling us back. We believe in faithful stewardship of talents and gifts that each one of us, and this applies to every person sitting around here today, is entrusted by God with specific talents and gifts. It's not our choice. 
It's a duty to use those gifts to further Christ's mission on this earth. Every single person who's sitting in this room today is critical and vital to the mission of this church and even beyond this church to the mission of Christ on this earth. You believe that? Everybody believe that? Put your money where your mouth is. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're special. Go ahead. Then tell them, you're valuable. Turn to them and say, you're valuable. And now turn to them and say, I need you. Say, I need you. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Single guys, this is your chance. I just opened the door for you. Go ahead. I, need, I just laid it out there for you, okay? Yeah. But actually, you know what? Turn to them and say, you need me as well. Go ahead. Say, you need me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You're going to be more strategic about where you sit next week, aren't you? All right? Now you, now you say, let's do this again, but let me sit next to her this time, right? You know. <laughs> we need each other. You need me to do my thing. I need you to do your thing. And if I'm not doing my thing, then the church isn't complete. And if you're not doing your thing, the church isn't complete. And like I'm saying beyond the church, because I know we have people here visiting us from all over the place beyond this church. Your church back home, the world, the ministry, the mission of Christ on this earth is incomplete unless you are doing your thing. The thing that God made you to do. Not the thing that God made me to do. You do your thing, I do my thing, we put it together, and we're perfect as a body. But there's a problem. There's a problem with what we just said. I just said, and you just said, that I need you and you need me. We need every single person here in this room. The problem is this. That it's a lot easier to talk about we need each other's differences than it is to really live that. Because the truth of the matter is, is you're different than me. And a lot of times we look at each other's differences. I don't want to say a lot of times. I want to say most of the time. We look at each other's differences not as something that's a good thing. We look at it as a weakness. And I, for example, I'll use myself as an example, but I think it applies to beyond me. One of my gifts, my top strength. Y'all remember what I told you? What's my top strength on the Clifton's responsibility? So if you're a responsibility person like me, and then you're with me, I say that's a good person. And then we find someone who doesn't have the gift of responsibility. And what do we do to that person? We judge them. Let's be honest. We preach diversity and unique. We say that. But in the back of our mind, we're saying that they are subpar. Because if they were as good as us, they'd be more responsible. And we look at that, and it's easy to look at others. You know what we do? We look at all the strengths, okay? And we said that there are 34 of those strengths. And we don't rank them, but we kind of do rank them. And it just usually happens to work out that our five usually end up near the top five. No matter how spiritual we are, no matter how much we talk about diversity, no matter how much we talk about uniqueness, the truth of the matter is we struggle to find value in those whose gifts are different than ours, those whose strengths are different than ours. And just so we're honest with each other, the more spiritual you are, you would think that the more spiritual you are, the easier this would be. I actually think it's the opposite. I think the more time you spend in church, the more likely you are to think that your way is the right way and anyone who disagrees with you is wrong. And you won't admit it, and I won't admit it. But when you're outside of church, you can think whatever. When, then when you're inside church, you can have Bible verses to back up your theory. And the more you time you spend in church, the more likely you are to think that those who are not like you simply aren't as valuable to this church as you are, and that's wrong. You know who is like that in the Bible? There's a group of people like that, very spiritual people. Very spiritual. And they thought that they were the cream of the crop, and anybody who wasn't like them wasn't as valuable. You know what their name was? It was the Pharisees. It wasn't very good for them. Jesus told a parable in Luke chapter 18. 
Jesus said he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Who trusted in themselves that I'm good and other people are bad because they're not like me. And look what he says. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like that guy. I thank you that I'm responsible and I'm not like that irresponsible guy. Or I thank you that I'm empathy, not like that unpathetic um person. I thank you that I believe in harmony or I'm an includer or I'm a woo or I'm a whatever. And I'm not like that guy because clearly you and I both know that this is the way to go. I thank you I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithe of all I possess. And he goes on to give his spiritual resume of why his gift is the greatest gift in the whole wide world. Is it good to fast? Yes. Is it good to give tithes? Yes. Is it good to not adultery and not extortion? Yes. All those things are very, very good. But let me tell you something that I've learned as a priest over the past however many years, and I cannot stress this enough, is that every single person, every single person has a weakness, multiple weaknesses, but let's just say one. And for you to judge their weakness is wrong. Everyone has a weakness, but it's just a different weakness. Easy for us to say, okay, that guy is um, gambles, and he's gambling and gambling and gambling, and say, he's bad because he gambles. He's not good like me. But you weren't born with that weakness. You didn't grow up in a family where gambling was all around you. You, weren't, you don't have that weakness. I bet you he's ten times better than you in areas where you're weak. Easy to look at his weakness and say, that's bad. Or that person uh, does this. Or that person doesn't do that. Every one of us has different weaknesses. This person who fasts twice a week, I bet you the person who fasts twice a week and does it easily and it's natural for him and says everyone should fast twice a week and it should be easy and he judges those who don't, he probably has the gift of discipline. That's one of the, the strengths and he's very good at discipline. And good for you. Bravo. You're good at discipline. Be disciplined. But don't judge the other guy who's not disciplined. I want to say to this guy, there's something else called loving one another. And maybe that undisciplined person who really, really struggles with fasting, and you say he should just fast, maybe it's really, really difficult for him. But I bet you he's 10 times more loving than you are. He's 10 times more patient with his kids than you are. Someone, I, one of my, my strengths is I'm a learner. I like to learn new things. I love to read. Me, reading the Bible, I enjoy reading the Bible. So for me to say, everyone should read the Bible. Everyone should read 10 chapters a day. What's wrong with you people? You don't read it? Well, maybe for me, it's a very natural thing, and I'm naturally good at it, and I enjoy it. But I cannot judge you if you can't concentrate for two minutes when you read the Bible, because I know that you are better than me in other areas. We're all good in areas, and we're all bad in areas. That's why our topic here for today, as it's titled on your handout, is my strength and your weakness. But the truth of the matter is, it's actually the opposite. It's not my strength and your weakness. It's your strength and my weakness. And that's how we need to look at it. Is that someone who's different than me, it's not a weakness. It's just a different set of strengths. And we need to learn how to appreciate it. Because that's what we're commanded to do in the scripture. The Bible says this in Romans 12, verse 3 to 5. St. Paul says, I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt each one a measure of faith. For as we all, excuse me, for as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function. You're good at welcoming new people. We all have a duty to welcome the people around us, to be loving. We all have that duty. But we cannot judge those who aren't naturally gifted in it the way we are. We all have a duty to be kind. We all have a duty 
to whatever it may be. But some of us are naturally gifted and given the ability to do it easier than others. We're not judging one another or saying that one gift or strength is better than the other. We have to learn that we'll all have different set of strengths and weaknesses. When I started this series, there was two goals that I had in mind. And I told you the first one, but I didn't tell you the second one. The second one was a sneaky one. I snuck in there today. The two goals of this series were this. Number one is learn to maximize my strengths. But number two, and equally as important, is learn to appreciate others' weaknesses. And I already told you, when I said others' weaknesses, I'm just saying that. But the truth of the matter is, it's not weaknesses. It's just differences. I want to learn what my strengths are. I want to invest in them. I want to maximize them. But then I want to turn to my neighbor who wasn't given that set of strengths. And I want to accept him or her as they are. And I don't even want to just accept it. I want to appreciate it. And that's why I said to you, I want to really say to that person, not jokingly now, that I need you. And this church needs you. And I, and let's be honest, I'm looking at you and saying, I don't see any value in you. But I know that God put you here for a purpose. And I'm not going to write you off as worthless. I want to appreciate what it is that you bring to the table. When we did this, I told you all we did this series, this Living Your Strengths, as a small group of us about a month ago, we did a little retreat, and we did this together. And what I said, and if you all remember, I said it in the video that we showed the first week. I said I learned a lot about myself, but I learned a lot more about the people around me and the gifts that God put in them. And I learned the value in other people that, like, forgive me, I don't, say, I don't mean this in a bad way. But I didn't see value in certain people. Not that I didn't see value, but I couldn't see the, the, the potential. Let me say that better. And a lot of people. But this retreat, this, this series taught me that every single person. Like I want to say this. I, as the priest of this church, I need every single one of you. And you need me too. So we're not go, we'll go both ways here. Okay. But I'm saying that I need you. And you need you. And any person who's sitting in these chairs here today, God brought you for a specific reason. And no one will fill your shoes except you. And we need to accept that, not just about ourselves, but about our neighbors. If the person next to me leaves, this church will be weaker. This church will be lacking something. In other words, I want to reframe how I view the differences between us. I want to change my paradigm and my way of looking at differences. And I don't want to look at it as differences that are annoying or that are um, difficult to deal with, I want to view it as incompleteness completed by the person's differences that are in front of me. That I am incomplete, that this body is incomplete without the person who's sitting next to me. Is that easy to do? That is not easy to do. It is easy to say, it is hard to do. And I'm going to show you today that even if you're very spiritual, even the most spiritual of spiritual of spiritual can struggle to appreciate the diversity and the different talents and gifts that God put in us. We're going to talk right now about a story from the Bible, one of the biggest breakups in the history of all mankind. Bigger than the Beatles when they broke up. Bigger than Jackson 5 when they broke up. Okay, and how the world was much worse off after that. I'm talking about this is the equivalent of Batman and Robin breaking up, what I'm going to talk about right now. Two of the most spiritual people, two superpowers when it came to the church who had a big fight and the world was never the same. And these two guys are Barnabas and Paul, also known as Saul. Y'all know the story of Barnabas and Paul? 
Let's do a little context here, then we read a few verses about them. We're going now to about Acts 14, 13, 14, 15. At that time, Jesus had died, risen from the dead, ascended up to heaven, sent the Holy Spirit down, church started to grow. Paul was not an original Christian. He wasn't an original believer. He was a persecutor of Christianity. But eventually, he sees the light as well. He joins the Christians, and he becomes a leader almost right off the bat. Not necessarily right off the bat, but very soon. And Barnabas and him were the first dynamic duo. These guys were fire and ice. These guys were thunder and lightning. These guys were leaders, and everywhere they went, miracles happened. Just one verse from Acts 13. Shows you who is Barnabas and who is Paul. Paul and Saul is the same name, but they just, he started Saul and became Paul eventually. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, meaning the entire body of believers, as they all ministered and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. That having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them away. Here we are as a church. We are fasting and we are praying and saying, Lord, do a great work in Arlington. And then the Holy Spirit comes down and says, Give me this one, and give me this one, and you guys keep on praying, and let me go do some real work. And he took these two, and he sent them off. And he prayed for them. They said, we're going to be here praying, and they sent them off. In the rest of Acts 13, 14, and 15, you'll see that these guys, like I said, they did miracles. They touched people, people were healed. They went in the middle of cities that didn't know anything about God. They preached, and people were converted. These guys were, like I said, the dynamic duo of the first century. In addition... They were the best of friends. They weren't just working together. They were the best of friends with each other. And each one needed the other one. And each one, like Barnabas, wouldn't have been Barnabas without Saul. And Saul wouldn't have been Saul without Barnabas. Each one needed the other. In the very beginning, we'll go to Acts chapter 9. When Paul was converted, okay, Saul, when he was converted and he saw the light. And he said, okay, now I want to be a Christian. And now I want to preach Christianity. He went to the apostles and said, hey, good news, guys. I'm with you guys now. And they said, no, thank you, sir. We don't want to have anything to do with you. Because you are a persecutor of Christians. You killed many of us. We are not buying that you are actually one of us. Get out of here. We'll pick up that story in Acts chapter 9. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, and rightly so. He had killed. He was responsible for killing many of them. And they did not believe that he was a disciple. Look here, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And the chapter goes on. Basically, Barnabas saw him. St. Paul came and said, I want to join you guys. They said, no, get out of here. And he was sitting in the corner, kind of in the, crying in the corner. Barnabas came over to him and said, hey, come with me. And Barnabas took him under his wing. And if there's no Barnabas, there's no Saul. Barnabas, by his name, his name literally means an encourager. The son of encouragement is what his name literally means. And that's what Barnabas was. He saw Paul by himself, and he picked him up. And Barnabas made Paul Paul. Without Paul, I'm sorry, without Barnabas, there is no Paul. And he took him under his wing, and he said, no, this guy's with me. I vouch for him. If he causes problems, take it out on me. And Paul became Paul. A few chapters later, after he took him under his wing, and he was doing his thing, all of a sudden, there's a city over there called Antioch. And in Antioch, the church starts to explode. And people are, are repenting and being baptized. And, and there's a great need in this city called Antioch. And Barnabas gets over there. Okay, we'll read what it says here, Acts chapter 11. It says, And the hand of the Lord is with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. The news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent out Barnabas 
to go as far as Antioch. They said, good things are happening there. Barnabas, you go out there and see what's happening. Barnabas gets out there and says, a great many people were added to the Lord. And then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. Why? Barnabas gets out there to Antioch, and he sees this place is busting at the seams. I need help. I need someone to help me. These people all need to be taught. I'm, I'm, I'm good at encouraging. I'm good at the one-on-one. But we need a massive group of people who needs to hear the truth of God. And they need to be convicted in their heart. And they need to learn the scriptures inside and out. I need help. It's called a timeout. He went to a city called Tarsus where, Tarsus where he knew a guy named Saul who would be perfect for the job. And he brought him in there. And the chapter continues on. All right. Next verse. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year... They assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. What's the net result of Saul and Barnabas, of Batman and Robin, of fire and ice together? The place was booming. They spent a year together, brothers, working together, teaching, consoling. Saul breaking the hearts of stone. Barnabas come and put them back together. They were a perfect combo. Like I said, they were best friends. What could go wrong here? Two spiritual people, perfect complement, best of friends. Clearly, nothing could go wrong here, right? Fast forward to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, after this, like I said, they go everywhere. They're doing miracles. They're doing all kinds of good stuff. Acts chapter 15, the mother church back in Jerusalem gives them a call. They say, hey, we heard you guys are really, really successful. And you guys are taking the church and spreading all over the place. We have some concerns with that. We need you to come back home and meet with us. And they got called into the principal's office. Paul and Barnabas, they weren't, con- they weren't concerned. They knew they had the spirit of God with them. They knew what they were doing was right. They came back. They stood in front of the whole council of the apostles and said, this is what God is doing where we are. And all the apostles said, wow, this is clearly the work of God. Man, more power to you. We support you. Y'all are the best. Go, go back and kick butt wherever it is that y'all are kicking butt. They go back to where they are, and they celebrate. And they have a great victory. God is clearly blessing them. Life couldn't be better. We'll pick up the story there in Acts chapter 15, verse 35. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord and many others with many others also. They celebrated. They go back to Antioch. And what do they do to celebrate? Teach and preach the word of the Lord, okay? You celebrate one way, you go out to dinner, they celebrate by preaching the word of the Lord, okay? So it's just whatever, okay? Like when you're really, when you're a missionary, that's how you, when you're an apostle, that's how you celebrate. Next verse. While they're teaching and preaching, celebrating the great victory, all that God had done for them, Paul gets an idea. Then after some days, Acts 15, 36, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, hey, I got a great idea. Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Good idea. Let's go back. And we preached in, in Rome, in Corinth, in Philippi. Let's go back and start to visit some of these places. And this began uh, one of St. Paul's trips. Now the next verse I show you is one of the most shocking verses in all the scriptures. And because maybe we know the story, we don't see the shock of it. But what happens... Like, the next verse, if the next verse said, St. Paul stood on his head and crowed like a rooster for the next 24 hours, it would be less shocking than what the next verse says. Verse 37. 
Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Little background. Basically what happened is earlier on one of these trips, Paul and Barnabas together, St. Mark, okay, John Mark, okay, the second uh, gospel writer, was with them. And he was young at the time and basically it was too hot in the kitchen for him, so he bailed on the trip. And they were together and said, we're going to go here. And he said, I'm going back to mom. And he went back to his house. So basically they let him go. Barnabas and Mark were cousins. Barnabas and Mark were cousins. So Mark had left, and he was gone, all right, and they went on their trip. And now they say, okay, I got an idea. Let's go on another trip. And Barnabas says, that's a great idea. I'll call Mark. And it says that he did what? He was determined. Because why? Because he's the encourager. Give him a second chance. Like, you know how those encouragers are. And Paul insisted. Paul was a tough guy. Like, it didn't say Paul thought. It didn't say Paul said. It didn't say Paul, like, was really, thought this was a good idea. It said Paul drew a line in the sand and insisted, we ain't taking that guy with us anywhere we go. Here's the shocking verse. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. Barnabas went left. Paul went right. And our church tradition teaches us that Barnabas and Paul never spoke again after this day. Yeah, exactly. That's why I said on the head rooster crowing would be less shocking than this. They never, even though, just so you know, Paul made up with Mark. And Mark later joined Paul. But Barnabas never spoke again. How? Like, this isn't junior high students. This isn't like you didn't invite me to my party, I don't invite you to your party. This, this is men of God. These are apostles. These are people preaching. This is St. Paul who wrote the chapter on love. And love is patient and love is kind. And love is all this stuff. And he won't talk to this Barnabas guy. How? How is this possible? How is it possible that Barnabas encouraged everyone and their mother? But all of a sudden here, he couldn't talk to this guy anymore. How? I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer. But I bet you this. I bet you that Barnabas and Paul didn't have the same set of strengths and didn't appreciate each other one's strengths, at least in this instance. Who is right, Barnabas or Paul? Who's right? Raise your hand if you think Barnabas is right. Raise your hand if you think Paul is right. Okay, neither. Okay, that's a very spiritual good answer. But each one of us, let's be honest, there's one that we kind of side with a little more. Let's do it again. I don't think everyone answered. Raise your hand to who you side with. Okay, let me, let me lay out the case for you. If you are empathy, harmony, includer, then you're going to go with Barnabas. And Barnabas said, you know, he made a mistake. You know, give him another chance. Hey, Saul, didn't I give you a second chance? Right? Can't go wrong with that. Didn't Jesus give us all a second chance? Shouldn't we give this guy a second chance? Raise your hand if you think you kind of side with the Barnabas side of things. Okay, we got a lot of Okay, now I'm going to make the other case now and get you all the other side. Okay? If you're a Paul, I always say in life there's two kinds of people. There's pillows and there's swords. 
right? And maybe you've seen me blog about this. There's pillows and there's swords. I am a sword, okay? A sword, pillows. <laughs> Let me make the case to the swords right here. Should we take Mark with us? What's more important, the work of God, the ministry of God, or that little crybaby wants to, wants to have a second chance? Like, we're not playing games here. We're not doing this for money. This is, this is the mission of God. Like, we cannot risk people coming on who are not 100% all in. And let me tell you this, you Barnabases out there who want everyone else to give a second chance. Let's say, I lent you, let's say you lent me money, and I squandered all that money and didn't pay you back. Would you lend me money again? Let's say you lent me your car, and I smashed it into a fire hydrant. Would you lend me your car again? Let's say you let me sit house sit for you for a weekend, and I trashed your house. You still going to preach forgiveness and second chance opportunities, all that kind of stuff? Raise your hand if you're a sword and a Paul, and you think that Paul is right. All right, very good. We are less than the majority, but we are the right ones, okay? <laughs> we are the right ones. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Okay, forget about you and forget about me. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Who's right, Barnabas or Paul? Let me tell you something. And I say this, and I say this, and I'm being honest with you, even though it kind of works against me, but I want you, everyone to know the truth. You can find a Bible verse to say whatever it is you want to say. Find me anything you want to do, and I will find you a verse that will justify it. So don't you ever find one verse and say, make a whole re religion out of it. I can find you a verse, justify just about anything in the whole wide world. And Barnabas and Saul, no, no different. If you're a Paul, you say Proverbs 29, 25, 19. Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. <laughs> That's in the Bible. I'm not making that up. It's saying... Trusting in a man who has been proven unfaithful. Not who I think is unfaithful, but has been proven unfaithful. is like a bad tooth or a foot that's out of its joint. And then Barnabas would respond with Psalm 103, verse 8 through 10. The Lord is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us according to our, as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. What would God say? I don't know what God would say. But I know that God is both a pillow and a sword. Because the Bible says when Jesus came in John chapter 1, it says that Jesus came with grace and truth. So Jesus is the perfect mix because God does hold us accountable. God does judge us according to our deeds. And we will be held accountable to every single thing that we've ever done. But by the same token, he's infinitely merciful and infinitely compassionate. And he's slow to anger, abounding in love. So if, the, if you want to know the right answer of what would God say, God doesn't, you can't put it into a bucket and say we should always give everyone another chance and always this and that, or we should cut people's heads off. Like, it's not like that. God approaches each situation with grace and truth. And I don't know what God would say. I know what I would say, okay, but I don't know what God would say. And it's foolish for us to sit here and argue. What I want us to see, I'll just finish up the story here, of what happened next after they departed is that God, because he's God, makes good things come out of all things, that he used this contention in a positive way. It says, Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren by the grace of, to the grace of God. And he went to Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So what happened is God used the division to make multiplication because he's God. That's what he does. Okay, he can make anything. And he said, these two are going to split. Well, I'm going to make it instead of one and one, I'll make it two and two. 
So instead of one team of two, now he had two teams of two. And one went left, one went right. And the church overall continued to grow because he's God. All right? He doesn't let anything stop his mission. Anyway, that's not our point here. The principle that I want to get back to that we learned from Barnabas and Saul and that every one of us needs to know and not just know this, but be convicted in their heart about this. Because this is a core foundational principle here if you go to this church. It is this. It is that every person has unique and eternal value in God's eyes. Every person has unique and eternal value in God's eyes. Y'all believe that? Show me that you believe it. Say it with me all together. Every person has unique and eternal value in God's eyes. Say it like you mean it again. Every person has unique and eternal value in God's eyes. Every strength, every personality type, every weakness has eternal, unique and eternal value in God's eyes. Here's what I want you to do right now. I want everyone to think in their mind. And if it helps you, you can close your eyes. Think of the most annoying person that you know in this church. Okay? Do not point at them. Do not elbow them. Okay? And do not all stare at me at the exact same time. Okay? I'm slightly offended by that. Okay? Think in your mind, not with your out loud, but just in your mind, of the person that you look at them and you see, I don't see any value in this person. Everyone got someone in mind? The person that I see is like, they're more annoying. I, I avoid them like the plague. And if they left, you know what? I'd send them a card saying, thank you very much. Like, I wouldn't really care. Everyone got someone in mind? You got someone in mind? Now say this sentence again with that person in mind. And you can put his name in, but don't say that loud, okay? But you have his name in mind. Say it again. Every person has unique and eternal value in God's eyes. The annoying person, the needy person, the critical person. You know the critical person, right? That you say that critical person? I'm not saying their criticism is good. But I'm saying that person has value. And it's my job to get inside the criticism and see what's causing that criticism and befriend this person so I can see the value that this person brings to the table. Because maybe the reason that they're criticizing or the reason that they're needy or the reason that they're annoying or whatever, whatever, what their weakness may be is because they have a hurt inside or they have something that I don't have and that I can't see. And our job is not to write them off, but is to get inside because I believe in my heart of hearts that that person has unique and eternal value in God's eyes. And if God sees value in them, then who am I to write them off? You know what each person is? Think of it as a piece to a puzzle, a jigsaw puzzle. On its own, one puzzle piece has no value. On its own. If I see a puzzle piece, no value. But if I got a whole puzzle in my house, and I worked, and I got all the puzzle pieces together, and then you lose that one puzzle piece, you know how annoying that is? What will you do if you spent hours putting together a puzzle, but you can't find one piece? What will you do? You will cancel all your plans. You will turn the house upside down because you cannot live without puzzle piece with a big hole right there. It just doesn't look right. That every person in this church is a piece of a puzzle, including me. Every person is a piece of a puzzle. And I'm telling you, if you remove one person from that puzzle, the puzzle ain't complete. And it ain't right. And you may say, what value is that piece? When you look at the whole picture, when God from heaven takes the 50,000 foot view, he says, no, that piece makes a big difference. And it's our job to not just preach this, but to believe it and to live it. 
C.S. Lewis once said this. He said, there are no ordinary people in the world. You have never talked to a mere mortal. He said, there are no ordinary people in the world. His point is that every person was made uniquely by God. And made uniquely by God for a reason. Like if God didn't have a specific purpose for that annoying person in your mind, then why would he spend so much time and effort to make them different like that? Why would he spend the time to make their fingerprint different and to make their gifts different unless he had a specific purpose in doing so? I always think of the story of the boy with the five loaves and the two fish. Imagine that you're there at the story of the five loaves and the two fish. Multitudes need food. Jesus said to you, you guys, go and feed all these people. And they said, okay, that's a big job. And one rinky-dink little boy, good-for-nothing little boy, with a little lunchbox, five pieces of bread and two pieces of fish, says, I'm here to help, guys. What would you say? Say, get out of here, kid. It's time for the big boys to work around here. Like, we don't need, we don't have time to mess around with you and your, and your funny little lunchbox and your funny little bread and sandwiches. We got a big mission around here, and we're trying to do big things. So unless you got cash or unless you work for a bakery, get out of here. And I'd say to this kid, you're messing us up. All you're doing is slowing down the work of God here. Oh, really? Oh, really? Y'all know how the story goes. If it wasn't for that little boy with the five loaves and two fish, there'd be no miracle. And those disciples would still be trying to figure it out today how to get it done. And I'm telling you, there's people who are sitting in these chairs here today who are just like that boy with five loaves and two fish. They don't look like they have a lot to offer. They don't look like they have a great contribution to make. But this church is incomplete without them. For the past two weeks, we've been talking about how it's incomplete without us. And I'm telling you that I don't want to just talk about how we are great and we are made for greatness. I want the guy next to you. Everything I said about those past two weeks applies to him as much. And it's great to learn about my strengths, but it is just equally as great to value and appreciate the differences and the weaknesses that God put in every other person. You might be sitting next to the five loaves and two fish boy right next to you. We talk all the time about how we might be that five loaves and two fish boy. You might be sitting next to that boy. That might be the boy that you avoid at the coffee line. But I'm telling you, this church would not be complete without that boy. Your homework this week. You got homework. Don't say Labor Day, no homework. You have homework. Your homework is to find value in the person that you cannot see value in. Don't write this off and don't say, yeah, 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 I appreciate everybody. No. I want you to think who it is that you don't see value in them. Your job this week is to find value in them. By praying, by thinking about whatever it may be. Like, I don't want to give examples because I don't want to limit you. But your job this week is to not come back to church next Sunday until you have in your mind identified the value of that person and you start to look at them in a different light. Here's a verse that might help you out. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 through 6 and verse 11. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. Differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. One and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. There's no such thing as better strengths and worse strengths. Even though I know the competitive people will probably disagree. Okay, But the truth of the matter is, none of us, we are all different, but that's how God designed us. And no matter how different, how small, how insignificant any one of us in our strengths may seem, I'm telling you, this church is not complete without it. I want to finish up by reading you a story about a man who learned a lesson 
and dealing with different strengths. And this man speaks about him and his wife and about how they, he speaks about how, like, the whole pillow and sword thing, okay, how he was a sword, all right, and she was a pillow, and this caused, okay, him not to see the value, okay, and the differences in his wife. I'm going to read you his words, all right. He said this. He said, from the very start, meaning the very start of their marriage, I knew that we were inherently different, but that was okay because I love those differences. Those differences are actually what attracted me most to her. I couldn't marry another sword. We'd kill each other. A sword needs a nice, soft pillow to land on to avoid damage. I love the fact that she was different. But over time, I realized that these differences sometimes meant that we would disagree or that we'd have different ideas about how to solve a problem or deal with an issue. I started to think, listen carefully, that her way was wrong and my way was right. I didn't realize that different doesn't mean wrong. It just means different. So then I did what any loving husband would do. I tried to fix her. This is what we do, right, when someone's different. We try to fix them. I tried to make her more like me, and she probably tried to do the same to me. Not surprisingly, both of us failed, and both of us felt frustrated. We were looking at our differences in the wrong way. Instead of embracing our differences, we resisted our differences. Eventually, we learned to value and appreciate our differences, and we realized that God brought us together because he knew that those differences would add richness and balance to our marriage. He knew that my swordness needed a pillow like her and vice versa. Here's the important sentence. Once we accepted and embraced this idea, God really opened our eyes to the beauty of marriage and how we were made to live. He made us realize that our differences, if we could learn to use them properly, would eventually be our greatest asset. Y'all know who wrote this story? If I don't get points for that one today, <laughs> y'all see me smiling all week, okay? That's me. And I wrote that on my blog several, however long ago, and that was me. And that's all of us. Because all of us, the natural thing, let's get the picture off here before both me and my wife get embarrassed very easily, okay? All of us, when we see someone different than us, we naturally try to change them. And I try to do that in my marriage, make my wife more like me. I thank God my wife is not like me. And if you've ever come over to visit my house, you should thank God that she's not like me either. Because <laughs> you have received much more nicely thanks to her, okay? Well, you know what I believe? I believe that God saw me and said that in order for me to do what I need to do, I need to have a wife like Marianne. And I believe that with all my heart. And I appreciate everything about her that drives me crazy and me that drives her crazy. We appreciate those things even though we drive each other crazy sometimes. We appreciate those differences. I believe the same is true in our church. I believe that God gave each and every single one of us. He gave us. He gave each one of us. Each one of us. He gave each one of us. Each one of us. Because he knew that this, for this church to be complete, it needed a me, but only needed one of me. Two of me's would not be good in this church. And two of you would not be good in this church. But zero of you would be equally as bad as two of you. Because we were made to do something great for God. The only way we can accomplish that is we maximize our strengths, but then we appreciate our differences, and we embrace them as this is part of God's plan for us and for our church. Let's stand up together and say a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you from the bottom of our heart. Thank you for all that you've given to us here in this church. Thank you for, for giving us gifts and talents and all kinds of good things that you planted in us. 
Lord, we pray that you would help us to see the differences between us, not, not as negatives and disadvantages, but to find the value and to see others' weaknesses, not, not as weaknesses, but just as different strengths than we have. Give us to really have that heart and not to think too highly of ourselves or our, our way is the right way, but give us to really value each and every single person that you died for and you shed your blood for and you said that each and every single person is your workmanship and you created them to do great things for you and to do greater works than these. I pray, Lord, you'd give us that same mentality that you had. Lord, you could see value in the Samaritan woman and in the tax collector and in the sinful woman. You could see value in the people that the rest of society said is worthless, even little children. You said that the kingdom of heaven is like these little children. I pray, Lord, you'd give us that same spirit, that same mindset, especially here in your body in this church. We ask all these things in the name of your only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, with the prayers and intercessions of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Just a quick reminder that next week is the conclusion of the series with our volunteer fair. So next Sunday you're going to come here, you're going to get a chance to see all the different volunteer groups in this church, and a chance to get connected.